Welcome to the Uriah's podcast, Conversations on Faith, Race, Justice, Gender, and the Church. I'm Danielle Castillejo, and Maggie Hemphill and I have a special guest with us today. I'm so excited to have with us today David Hayward, the Naked Pastor. I found David on Instagram. He is a cartoon artist that uses his images and words to challenge the status quo, to deconstruct dogma, and offer hope to those who are struggling and suffer underneath it. David was a pastor for 30 years, and he left the ministry to pursue his passion for art, and he holds a master's degree in theological studies, as well as diplomas in religious studies and ministry. He is a writer with several books out and an artist based out of Canada. Welcome, David. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Well, tell us a little bit of how you got into these cartoons. (laughs) Well, um, thanks for having me on your show. Uh, I started uh, my blog, Naked Pastor, way back in 2004 or 5, and I was writing. um, I used the name Naked Pastor to convey that I wanted to be really, really honest as a pastor. I I didn't want to just talk about all the church growth and wonderful sermons and amazing music and huge offerings and frequent converts and all this kind of stuff. I wanted them to see, you know, the conflict and financial struggles, the doubts and fears and all that stuff. So that's why I called myself the Naked Pastor. And, um, you know, I was writing away about that kind of stuff, uh, spiritual abuse, etc. And then, um, you know, I really, I've been an artist my whole life, as long as I can remember, drawing, sketching, painting. And I really love a good cartoon. And so I thought one day, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try and draw a cartoon. I'm an artist. I'll give it a shot. And I drew that cartoon and I enjoyed it. I had fun. Um, some people liked it. And I thought I'm going to challenge myself to do a cartoon every day and see how long it lasts and how well it sticks. I thought I would last a couple of weeks, maybe. Um, here I am 16 years later, still doing it. And, uh, yeah, it. uh, I kept doing it because it was getting such a response from people. Um, the, you know, if somebody comes along and there's a 300 or 500 word blog post, you know, if they're in agreement or they like it, they're going to read it and maybe comment. But with a cartoon, um, it happens so fast. It's like a split second. You can't unsee it. And so I love the power and the immediacy and the effectiveness of that. So that's why I, I kept doing cartoons. And, and, you know, my first ones aren't so great, um, but uh, I, I hope I'm getting better at it. <laughs> I think I have to go back. So you're you're the naked pastor. I got to hear a little bit about how that title came to rest on your shoulders. Well, because at the time, um, you know, there were shows out like The Naked Chef, um, The Naked Archaeologist, The Naked Truth. It just means raw, real honest, open, vulnerable, no adornments, just the basic. So that's why I I chose Naked Pastor. In fact, I got the name totally by accident. I I thought of the name Naked Pastor. I noticed somebody else owned it. So I I just put in, if ever it goes up, you know, is available, I'd like to, I'd like to get it, the URL, nakedpastor.com. And um, I don't know, a year or something later, I was informed via email that I'd won the auction. And I thought, oh, my. oh no, 
how much money is this gonna anyway it was like 68 bucks or something and uh so yeah i bought it and i i stuck with it it's got its problems um there's some people who are like you know with pedophilia and everything in the priesthood and all that naked pastor sounds kind of creepy but most people you know understand the meaning of what it, the the words are and um so yeah it's kind of stuck it's become a thing now and uh yeah so there we have it yeah i think you do exactly that i mean that's what drew me initially to your art is that it was real and honest and um mm -hmm. kind of like you said holds holds nothing back when looking at the church uh especially and right. so um how would you say that you got into you know specifically about critiquing what's happening in the church like what was your experience that led you to this well a lot of people, I, I get this from a lot of people that they think I hate the church and I want to see it abolished from the face of the earth. And they couldn't be more wrong. Actually, I grew up basically in the church. Uh, the church is my spiritual mother, home, whatever you want to call it. And um, I, I, I loved how the church helped me. Although at the same time, I was harmed a lot by the church, not only as a member, but also as a, as a pastor. And I participated in the sort of systemic spiritual abuse that can occur in in the church does not can does uh, occur in the church and so i um i found my cartoons uh as an effective way to address that to make it graphic literally um and and for so that people couldn't deny deny it or unsee it or whatever i wanted to draw cartoons about how the church does manipulate and coerce and shame and guilt and, and terrify and abuse people. Um, and I know intimately because I, what I experienced horrible spiritual abuse in the church. And I also participated in, like I said, this, this, the, the dehumanization of people that's just in the air of systems. Um, everything from the DMV to the church to the army to education, hospital, you name it. Um, wherever there's a system, the gravitational pull is towards the dehumanization of people. And that constantly has to be challenged and uh, corrected. And um, that's and the church isn't exempt from that. That's why I do what I do. Yeah, I love, I love that and fully um, support the work that you're doing and love how, like you said, you've, you've put uh, a picture to something that many experience as wordlessness, you know, when they experience spiritual abuse or trauma, they don't really know how to put words to it. One of the posts that you had recently, like, really got me and it's because it, it touched me so close to my own experience. It was, you know, a picture of a church. Um, and there was all these people inside and the pastor is pointing to a woman who's outside the church and it, you know, it said something like good riddance. Uh, she wasn't controllable anyway. Um, right. And so like you're talking about spiritual abuse, you're talking about patriarchy. Um, right. And in this snapshot, like you said, it's so um, grips you and it happens instantly. And for me, when I connected to it, it's like, whoa, that felt really close, to, you know, to home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, that's the, the why I love cartoons is because um, this happens all the time where let's, in this case, the cartoon, it was a woman leaving the church because she was tired of being manipulated and people trying to control her and dominate her. And um, she, so she left. This happens every day. So 
I draw a picture of it and I put words to what's actually happen, happening. Because I've, I've actually heard pastors say, good riddance. You know, they, they were hard to manage or they were, you know, extra grace required person, you know. And um, so I, I put it in a picture. And so when people see it, they're like, oh, my God, that doesn't really happen. Yes, it does happen. I mean, if you you take the words away and, you know, it, it doesn't all happen in a, in a moment like that. It happens over a lifetime. Right. And it's gradual. It's like a glacial melt. You know, it just it just happens all the time. But when you put it that starkly in a, in a picture, then it drives home the point. I hope. Yeah, I think what, oh, sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Um, I was just, yeah, it does drive them the point. I think I did see the one Maggie's mentioning and what I was thinking about has how art has become an expression. And so you must live really close to your own experience. Yeah. Of like the pain you've either experienced or the pain you've caused and also the joy you've experienced and the joy you've been a part of imparting. So you can't, shame wouldn't, shame could easily take you out. But what I hear is you live close to your experience in a way that, in a way that shame doesn't take you out, but allows you to keep using art as a means of expression. Yeah. So I believe in therapy. I think therapy is good. And um, therapy should help us come to the place and like with me, my own self-awareness and growth and analyzing myself and going through therapy and counseling and coaching, all that stuff uh, so that I can remember my trauma without reliving it. That's, that's what we're after, right? I don't want to forget what happened. Um, But if I do remember, I don't want to feel it all over again. Like it's fresh. So a lot of people, when they re- see my cartoons or read my posts, a lot of them say, oh, you're so angry or you're so bitter or you're so resentful. You need to let that go. You need to forgive. No, I've already done all that. I, I don't feel anger or resentment or bitterness rooted in me. You know, uh, I'm, I'm healed of all that. I, I really have moved on. I'm, I'm really doing great. Thank you very much. But I know a ton of people who are still inside that, who are experiencing abuse and so on. And I, you know, I would love the church to succeed in, in, in forming healthy community. That's what I really, really want um, is, you know, the church will never go away. We know that Uh, we should know that if somebody tries to abolish it, it'll go underground. Like it does whenever it's persecuted, it will never go away. It will always find a way to, to live. But for Pete's sake, can we do it in a healthy manner? That's all I, that's what I care about. Right. And your, and your artwork is becoming an avenue for that, for people to pause mm-hmm. when, when they see something that comes up and if it, if it, if they feel that in their body, right, that causes them to pause oh. and to engage that. Yeah. And I would love for you to like, talk about what is your hope that you come away with with your art? Like, what are you hoping that people will do or say or respond to your art? Um, Well, I'll tell you what is happening. um, And that is, I either really piss people off, or I really encourage them. So, so for example, in in the cartoon you just mentioned, Maggie, um, you felt heard, 
seen and validated. It's like, that's your story. And, and, and you felt, maybe you felt a little bit of, because you were heard, because you were seen and validated, maybe a little bit of healing happened. For others though, they're like, how dare you talk about the church like that? You know, and they get really upset. And um, so those are the two reactions. But I'll tell you, um, I hear from people every day thanking me for, you know, encouraging them or validating them or helping them feel heard or seen. But I also hear from people um, that have told me that I've changed their minds and um, thanking me for that. So that um, some of my worst enemies are now some of my best friends. And uh, it's because maybe my cartoon bypassed their um, you know, rational mind and got to their heart and art can do that. It, it, it maybe goes for the emotions and bypasses your intellect. And, uh, then your intellect comes in after. And I think that's the power of art is it, if it, it moves people. And so, um, for some, it moves them to dig in their heels even more and become more angry and violent. Um, and others, it moves them to change and other, it moves them to feel validated and feel okay. Yeah, I think there's something about the art that's that's even disarming. Like the anger doesn't feel to me like uh, like it's just pushing people away. It's a, a anger. That kind of anger it, is a, it indicates a high level of intimacy, at least with the subject that you're discussing. Uh, yeah, art, you're right. not necessarily with you, but mm. but a high level of intimacy or or something that's very close to pain or shame or or something mm. that that person's engaging. So when I think about those two reactions, in, in my mind, you're winning on both fronts. That's a good way to look at it. Thank you. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, like, um, I'm always moved by art. Uh, and I find it very effective. I remember <laughs> I remember many years ago, I'd gone through a horrible church, negative church experience. And it'd been a year or two, and I felt totally dead inside. And my reaction to trauma is to freeze. You know, there's fight, flight, minds freeze, where I just kind of shut down and um, don't feel anything. And I remember one day really realizing you know, I'm not okay. I'm actually just not feeling anything. There's a difference. And uh, my wife was working shift work. She's a nurse. And uh, I watched a movie, The Notebook. <laughs> and I bawled my eyes out. And the dam broke. And, you know, I'm not saying it's an amazing movie or an amazing story, although, yeah, uh, but it moved me at that time and it broke something in me and it helped me feel again, come back to life, thaw, you know? So uh, art has that power. Um, it can enrage you, it can activate you, it can make you cry and feel again, it can make you think. I, I think that's why I will keep doing what I do. Yes, I feel like that is the pastor part of, of what you're doing, you know, uh, yeah. helping people remember. 
And there's also this element of like a prophetic voice, the truth telling that you're doing through your art by saying what's happening. And like you said, raw and vulnerably expressing it and, and not solely on the topic of spiritual abuse. So, I mean, you also talked about, you know, in support of LBGTQ community and how Jesus would respond, like you're using um, truths um, on both sides, I guess is uh, the point of it, like pastor and prophet with your artwork. So that's something I would never say about myself. <laughs> about myself. Um, you know, I left the ministry in 2010, but people try to convince me I never really did leave the ministry. Um, I've just changed my um, parish from local to universal. And, you know, I'm not willing to argue about that. Um, neither am I willing to say I am a pastor. Um, and I and we all know what happens to prophets. Um, they are either stoned and they're not welcome in their hometown. But I, I'm, I, if somebody says what you just said there was prophetic, I'm not willing to fight with that. Or, or pastoral, I'm not willing to fight with that. But I'm never going to, you know, I'm not going to put in my biography on Instagram, prophet David Hayward, um, or pastor David Hayward, although naked pastor there for sure. But um, no, I appreciate, I, I appreciate that. Uh, because there is the what was it? Was it Jeremiah talks about um, tearing down and building up? And those are two sides of any good work, I think, is um, not only taking down the abuser, but lifting up the abused, right? So that's what I do try to do. I think which is, is a, it's particularly heightened. I don't think anything has changed. Uh, don't get me wrong, but I do think, I mean, I'm coming from the context of United States, Pacific Northwest. Um, right. It's, you know, hyper progressive socially, yet ultra conservative in, in faith realms. So there's like this yes. weird, this weird pull. Right. Yeah, both sides, you know, have haven't really adequately engaged the system. But I think what your art does is kind of say like it, it doesn't really I know some people might categorize it as like a political statement or a certain yeah. trend spiritually, but really to me it just kind of cuts through the crap of all that. Right. Yeah, some you know, um once in a while I'll do some people have compared me to the a, political cartoonists in the religious realm. But once in a while, if the religious spiritual realm creeps into the political realm, I will, I'll draw a cartoon about that. So that, you know, um, if, if a, um, a, a powerful person claims to love the Bible, uh, but does anything but biblical things, I might do a cartoon about that. Or, um, you know, um, yeah, so uh, once in a while, so a couple, there's a few of my cartoons that might be considered political, but it's only because uh, the spiritual or religious and the political have intersected. So like one of my cartoons is um, the, there's a, a Venn diagram. One is the church and the other is the state and where they cross, I call it assholery. Um, where where the two mix and uh, it was, was one of my most popular cartoons. It's silly, but um, it's it's really true. That's where we see some of the worst, you know, ridiculous 
things come out, behaviors, ideas, and policies. So, yeah. So, um, yeah, so th there's that. I, I try to avoid political only, but if the, if the, if it does in, intersect with the spiritual realm, I will make a comment about that. But um, I have a son who lives in the Western United States, so I know, and I have family out there as well, other family. My wife's, I, I, we met in the States, she was American. And, uh, you know, I've, I've studied in the States and actually planted a church in the States. And so I, I know I'm intimate with the United States and I care about it very much. So um, it's been a hard go for the past, what, six, eight years. So. Well, I mean, I guess I would say like faith, faith has, it's consistently been political and is. Well. Yeah, it's like uh, what's one of my cartoons is Jesus hanging on the cross and somebody says he shouldn't have got political. That's because that's the problem. He did get political. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, so when we're talking about the exclusion of um, LGBTQIA folk um, or not treating um, them as equals with equal opportunity or, or women or people of color or indigenous people or, or whatever, it's a spiritual problem with political ramifications for sure. Yeah, it feels like there's an invitation uh, through your art to kind of rethink what we've learned, right? I, recently, mm -hmm. you've been posting some videos about deconstruction. And if we view deconstruction as one side of a coin and, and reconstruction on the other side, there's like a delicate balance there in your art of you know, challenging status quo and challenging what we think we know, and then providing a biblical truth like jesus would be with the outsiders jesus would be with those who were cast out those the the lbgtq uh, community who, who are unwelcome um and so using kind of both sides of of that coin deconstruction and reconstruction through your art right yeah and i uh yeah that's right i i uh it's the tearing down and the building up yeah that's the the two things i i try to accomplish with with my work and i try to keep it balanced you know, um, I might go, you know, with the whole deconstruction thing, I'm talking a lot about it because uh, these days, because the right, uh, you know, and conservative churches have heard about it and are trying to correct it. They're, they're shedding a bad light on it and they're saying, you know, um, trying to reframe it, trying to co-opt the word deconstruct your deconstruction, you know, and um, you know, it's okay to ask questions, but you need to come back to the faith when you're done and all that kind of thing. And so uh, that's why I'm, I'm speaking out more about it these days, uh, because I think the church is, it's the church's fault people are leaving the church um, because they weren't given room to grow. And uh, if the church would give them the freedom and the space to grow, ask their questions, even fall into complete doubt, even maybe dance around with atheism for a while or whatever. Uh, I think the church should give people that space. And um, if, if people were given that space, they wouldn't be leaving in droves like they are. Uh, so instead what the church does is it's, it sticks to its dogma and um, refuses to allow you to ask questions. And your only option is to leave. And then you're called an apostate, a heretic, a backslider. It's your fault. Victim blaming 101. Yeah. That's my rant on that. <laughs> Love it. 
Rance, welcome. And actually, one of the things you said really, um, really brought me to a thing that is kind of like your phrase, and that is uh, the answers are the questions. Questions are the answer. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I would love to hear you kind of uh, explain how you arrived at that uh, kind of phrase for your art. Yeah. Questions are the answer. It's actually one of my books um, that you can get on Amazon. But um, the reason why I say that is because uh, people, um, the way I was raised is that, okay, it's okay to ask questions, but here's the answer you need to final, finally come to. And so my my uh, discoveries and personal growth and and in awareness and you know uh, enlightenment or whatever you want to call it uh, is is being open to the question and being able to live in that mystery and paradox and uh, to me that's spiritual growth and maturity is to be is being able to live with that that mystery so I compare it to like a door you've got your open or closed door. It's an open or closed question. It's closed, like it's yes or it's no. Is there a heaven? Yes. Is there a hell? Yes. Do you have to have Jesus Christ, your own personal Lord and Savior? Yes. You know, it's all yes or no. The swinging door is, is more where you're, you're not sure this, not sure that. Is the Bible inspired? Well, what do you mean by inspired? Um, parts of it are accurate. Some parts don't seem accurate. Like, and yet that's sort of a swinging door. And then the open door, finally, the open door is where you're just, you're open and your, your, your mind isn't, um, falling into a rut and it's just open and ready to receive. And it's living in mystery. And it's kind of like the Christian classic, the mystical Christian classic, the cloud of unknowing. That's what I'm talking about. That kind of ability to be at poise in, in, in the mystery, in the unknowing that, and that's where it, it's, it's not like, um, an unsettled, anxious, I, I don't know the answer. It's more like I'm at peace with what is. And, and, uh, that to me is the pinnacle of spiritual growth and awareness. Yeah. Have you heard of the womanist theologian, Dr. Angela Parker? Uh-huh. Yeah. I just, I just finished reading her book this weekend. It, if God still breathes, why can't I? And oh, yeah. she, talks, she talks about womanist uh, like theology and breaks down a couple passages in Galatians and talks about Paul and, and really gets into the heart of, I think of what you're saying, talking about how we have allowed, we have simplified the scriptures because we have decontextualized the Bible. And, and the and Jewish people had a very contextualized experience of reading the scriptures, right. you know, for instance, like Galatians were that Paul was writing to, they were persecuted and humiliated and, and uh, possibly slaves or possibly even like under conquer had like uh, killed their own family members to avoid yeah. oppression. Yeah. And, the, and how that would shift the reading of Paul's letter to Galatians, right? Like contextualizing that. And how, how can we, we, white supremacy has said, hey, there's this one way of viewing scripture, just like you're saying. Right. And <clears throat> in that view, we, we don't allow for the scriptures to be mysterious. And she also uses this term, which I think you're alluding to when you're talking about, like, I hadn't heard it before, but like, basically like Bible idolatry, like where you idolize the Bible even more than, even more than you worship God. 
I have cartoons of that. Bib yeah. Bibliolatry. That's right. That's how you say it. I couldn't, I couldn't remember how to say it. And so I was really struck by that and thinking about the ways I grew up. And then I was like, oh man, yeah. David's talking about this right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, one of my most profound aha moments was when I was reading Thurman's book, Jesus and the Disinherited. And he was telling a story about his grandmother who couldn't read. So she had him read. Uh, he's a black theologian, by the way. So if you didn't know, I'm sorry. Anyway. Um, uh, so his mom, who was actually a slave in, in her day, um, used to be a slave on a plantation, had him read the Bible to her, but she said, not Paul. She didn't want him to read Paul. And um, he was always afraid to ask her. He was intimidated by her. But come to find out the reason why was because Jesus and, and the people he was around uh, at that time were an oppressed people. They were an occupied people. Paul was from the occupying uh, power. So Paul had this privilege, um, you know, as a Roman. And he even used it, right? He even used it to, in order to have a meeting with Caesar himself. And uh, whereas Jesus, um, if you think of it, he was talking with oppressed people, occupied people. So, for example, the um, a lot of what Jesus was teaching was uh, a survival techniques for occupied people. If a soldier tells you to carry his cloak a mile, carry it two miles. You know, it, it was a way it was a survival technique. So at, when I read that, it was like, oh, my goodness, Jesus teaching was to the oppressed and the disenfranchised and the marginalized. And Paul was speaking from a place of privilege. It, it puts, it's, you're, it's the contextualization you were speaking of it. She has a whole new, new light on the way we uh, approach, um, and approach the scriptures. So yeah, you're right. It's like they, they, need, they need to be read in context with the history and everything uh, you know, in our minds as we do that. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah, and the Jewish and the Jewish like rabbis and traditions allowed for that complexity to play out. That's right. They they didn't have a problem with it. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Jewish uh, um, approach to scripture is so much different than say evangelicals today. Um, the appreciation for story and history and the relationship to God as being unique and um, vibrant and even allowing room for argument and and making deals and, you know, everything. It's just such a profoundly different uh, approach to um, the holy book and scriptures than, than so many of us were raised on, for sure. I've got nine books for sale on Amazon right now. I did not know that. Yeah, I have nine books so, so far. Um, beginning with Naked Pastor 101. <laughs> and then... Um, that's uh, my first cartoons. Uh, I've got questions are the answer, which is basically my story and how I, why I do what I do. My Sophia, the Liberation of Sophia book. Um, Till doubt do us part when changing beliefs change your marriage. That's for people who are in a marriage or relationship and one or the other starts deconstructing and how to manage that treacherous river. And I have other books. So yeah, they're all on Amazon. Just look up David Hayward or Naked Pastor on Amazon. You'll find them all there. 
And I have another one coming out next year. Yeah, uh, of my 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 best cartoons. I have thousands of cartoons, but we're trying to get down to about 125 or 30 cartoons, my best of. So I'm looking forward to that. That's awesome. Yeah. How would you say your faith has changed or shifted from you know being a pastor for 30 years to now being a pastor, as it were, with your cartoons, being a, a prophetic voice and pastor through your cartoons? Well, um, I really do believe that we are all one and connected at a deep and fundamental level. Um, and the, I, I have that sense. I, I, I've seen it. I know this. And um, that's what motivates me to do what I do. So everybody to me is me. We're all connected. We're all together. We're all one and united. And we're all sharing one reality. But you know, you're, the way you interpret reality and describe reality is different than mine. That's just ideas and words, but fundamentally we're, we're the same and united, not separated and divided. So that's what motivates me to do what I do. And so I speak with people all over the world, um, around the universe, and we're all family, and I really do believe that. And so that's what motivates me to reach out and help people the way I do. It's uh, my fundamental belief is that we are united and we need to care for one another. So it used to be local, right? Just up the road here, my church, my last church. Um, but now it's on the internet and everywhere. Uh, you know, it's amazing. I get messages from people from the weirdest places in the world, most unheard of places in the world and saying, do you mind if I translate your cartoons into my language? And uh, no, absolutely, go ahead, do it, you know? So it's, it's a lot of fun and it's uh, really cool connecting with people um, all around. So pretty neat, yeah. including Americans, actually. <laughs> Americans are my biggest audience. <laughs> well, and that speaks volumes to what's happening in the American church, doesn't it? It does. I think there is a lot happening. I think we're at a critical time. I think COVID's ramped it up um and um made made some things pretty glaring uh, i think we're in a very 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 important time and uh you know i think the church if it hasn't already should really soon start recognizing that it's losing control of people um the church used to be able to assume its authority and demand respect people now understand that authority is given and respect is earned. And uh, if you don't give me space to be me, um, I'll just leave. Uh, and we, you have that freedom now and people are exercising it. And that's why COVID's ramped it up. Now people have had, have an excuse. I even know some pastors saying, geez, I really like staying at home on Sunday. I don't know if I want to go back. Mm. And, and that's a reality, you know, and I think the church needs to hurry up and wake up and figure out a way to, um, be a place where liberated people gather together uh, voluntarily. Um, that I think is gonna be the next big challenge. I agree. Here we all go into the brave unknown. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, unknown for sure. Uh, and brave, yeah, I'm gonna try to be brave um, because, uh, I, th I think it's 
Like for me, the, the church is meant to be a mi microcosm of what the world should look like. So um, that's what I believe the church is to be like a model, like a microcosm mm -hmm. and uh, of what it means to care for one another and support one another and believe in one another and um, be behind one another. And, 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 and that should be the model of what the world should look like. That's why excluding people based on their gender, sexuality, color of skin, beliefs, even all that just doesn't make any sense. It's self-destructive. Uh, we need to figure out a way how we can be exercise unity and diversity. That's what needs, we need to learn. We need to learn it quick. Yeah, because it feels like sometimes the church would say um, unity requires um, everyone to be the same, right? Yeah, and well, that you know what? That's right. We've, we've learned that does come. That's one thing Lisa and I learned when we went through our deconstruction, everything, it really heated up after I left the ministry in 2010, because we, we lost what we felt we lost the glue that held us together. We had to really sit down and renegotiate. How are we going to stay married? And it took us a few years to figure it out. Um, but we, one thing we did learn was it, the thing that did held us together wasn't compatibility of belief. It was love and love means giving space, respect, um, awe, wonder, um, autonomy, independence, you know, that's what love means. And, and so I know that you're, you're right on Maggie, that, uh, it, it's not compatibility of belief that holds us together. And so I operate out of that assumption that we're already one and our thoughts and words seem to divide us, but they really don't. They only seem to, they're like ripples on the surface, deep, deep down. There's a deep current running that holds us all together. Mm -hmm. The surface ripples are just that changes with the weather. Mm -hmm. um, but down deep, we share the same current. It's really beautiful. It is. <laughs> Yeah. Well, David, I would love for you to tell our listeners, you know, where they can uh, connect to you, where they can support and buy your art. Um, let us yeah. know how they can find you. Um, well, go to nakedpastor.com and you'll, you'll find everything you, you need. I'm, I'm, that's my base and you can go from there, but I am on every platform I can imagine, like, like I'm on Facebook and Twitter and, and LinkedIn and Instagram and TikTok and YouTube. I'm all over the place as Naked Pastor. Um, don't Google Naked Pastor in two words, because you'll see things there that you might not want to see. Um, but uh, Naked Pastor, one word, that's me. And um, at nakedpastor.com. And then, you know, from there, you can go to my, I've got courses and I've got books and I've got my art and t-shirts and all that stuff from there. But I'm really good at responding to people who reach out to me either via email or direct message or, you know, private messaging or whatever. I'm really good at responding. So um, feel free to reach out. I promise I'll get back in touch with you. I was going to say that's true. I can vouch for that because when I emailed you through your website, I thought, man, there's no way that David's going to be, uh, you know, into coming on a podcast, but was so delighted you respond in the same day. So I'm just vouching yeah. for what David said yeah. is true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I promise. Well, I, I can't wait to have you back. 
Yeah, we'll do that. I love coming back and, and chatting about stuff. Yeah, for sure. It felt like we had like an overview of many topics, which is appropriate okay. given your art. And yet I wanted to hear more from you about specific things. So we'll have to- Yeah, so we took a drone overview. Now, yeah. maybe next time we can get, you know, down into some nitty gritty stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. Well, I would love that. And um, we always end our podcast by asking our guests the same three questions, which is, what are you reading right now? What are you listening okay. to? And who or what is inspiring you? Um, right now, I'm, I'm re I've got two books on the go. So when I get up in the morning, I make my coffee, I put on some nice music, and I take my dog out, and I sit down and I have my what I call contemplative reading time, and I write in my journal and everything. So right now for that, I'm reading this by Kate Bowler. Um, no cure for being human. And I like we're friends. And I, I, I reached out to her the first day I started reading. I said, you had me crying before 6am this morning. <laughs> it's just really, really so she's such a good writer and so honest. And, um, you know, her dealing with um, stage four cancer. And uh, so it's just such a beautiful book. And, and really true. I love that. And then the other one I'm reading is probably the other opposite end of, of the spectrum but I'm, I'm reading this new book out um a biography of Karl Barth my, my favorite theologian probably um a life in conflict uh written by Christiana uh, Tights who um you know this this came out after his uh, private letters were released I think 50 or something years after his death um where it was revealed he had quite an intimate relationship with his assistant, um, a woman, and um, was his mistress. So it's quite an interesting read. I love Bart. I love theology. Uh, and I love the humanness of theologians. And, and so I'm, that's why I'm enjoying that book. So that's what I'm reading. Um, what's inspiring me? Oh, what I'm listening to. Okay, so you know what? I'm a Spotify freak. I love Spotify, um, you know, uh, and I uh, once, I don't know if you guys are on Spotify, but once they get sort of the hang of your tastes, they start feeding you, um, you know, uh, lists, music lists, and, uh, you know, like your daily mixes and your Discover Weekly and your, you know, Release Radar and all that stuff or your favorites of 2020 and or whatever. And they're pretty good. I mean, it's an algorithm, I know, but it's pretty good at, you know, giving me some really good music. So I'm listening to everything from like Ulrich Schnauss and Calabi and Timo Kranz and Synthetic Symphony and uh, Epiphany, Talos, Axel Flovin, Noble Oak, you know, all these people. So I just love the variety and the, man, there's just so much good music out there. And so I, I put music on, as I already said, first thing in the morning. And that's the last thing I do before I go to bed is I turn it off. So I'm listening to music all my waking hour, you know, except when I'm doing stuff like this. And then what's inspiring me? Um, I'll tell you, uh, Lisa and I love for going, we love going for walks. Uh, we, have you heard of forest bathing? Uh, it's a Japanese, there's a Japanese word for it. It's a Japanese concept of going into the woods and just soaking up the oxygen and uh, the beauty of nature and the serenity. And so we live in New Brunswick, which is tons and tons of water and tons and tons of trees. And so we just go on our, our forest walks and uh, enjoy nature. That 
to me replenishes my well. And we try to do it every day. Uh, we don't wait until it's an emergency or well is dry and we need to go fill it up. We top it up as much as we can and so that we can operate out of that abundance rather than scarcity, you know, you know what I'm saying? So um, yeah, that's what inspires me uh, most right now. It's, and going for walks with my beautiful and wise wife is uh, one of the best things in the world. So yeah, that's Love it. That. Well, thank you so very much for being with us today and uh, sharing yourself and your uh, vulnerably your art to the world we're grateful and definitely would love to have you back for for some more sign me up thanks very much thank you